I am about to introduce you to three voices that you might not recognise straight away, but you are going to hear a awful lot of in the course of the coming year. First up, Alice Doyle, Vice President-elect to the IFA, to be confirmed on Tuesday. Congratulations, first off. Happy New Year. Um, have you any time for indulgences like Nulag Lamont now that you're about to become one of the busiest people in the country? Oh, of course, uh, Philip, we have to make time for the good things in life as well, you know. So, yes, of course, as a female, uh, I'm going to enjoy today and as a, a farmer's wife I'm going to enjoy today and I'm going to head off to meet some farm family ladies later on uh, down in Limerick where we're going to celebrate uh, Nolig Naman. It's a tradition that they have down there um, which I think is very as much as we said earlier a southern thing but um, but around the country we, we will be celebrating and of course I have time mm. and it's very important to take time out too. Professor Yvonne Buckley, um, good morning. Happy New Year to you as well. Uh, since New Year's Day, you've been the co-chair of a very interesting environmental science initiative that's going to span Ireland, Northern Ireland and Britain. More of that in a moment. But is, as Alice was saying there, do you get the impression as a Cork woman that Nolignaman is a largely Southern thing? Uh, absolutely. But um, now that I'm based up in up in Dublin, um, I'll be going out and celebrating tonight as well with a mixed group um, because we have um, men who have had a very busy Christmas as well as their as women um, doing the housework and cooking the food and things like that. See, the so men take going over out as a gang. <laughs> We're inviting them in. They can pay for the drinks. <laughs> and, and Hazel Mullins is the uh, new president of Veterinary Ireland. Uh, calving began the day before yesterday for you. So presumably you're on call. Now you don't get to indulge yourself tonight. Oh, well, I think I've got this weekend off now, but um, I was on call last night and or the night before and I had my first cow calving, which was a, a momentous occasion for 2024. It's always a, a very daunting task, but once you get your first calving over with, it's it's all go from there. But yeah, Nolignaman is very special. Um, I'm a Cork woman. It's very special to, especially Cork people. But I think, um, yeah, I'm up in Dublin this this tonight, so I'm going to miss. So this is your first Nolig Naman in Dublin, is it? Yes, the first one in Dublin. So we'll see how okay. you do. <laughs> um, Alice, can I begin with you, please? It's us in media who have made a point of saying that you're the first female vice president of the IFA. But I got the feeling watching your campaign that your gender wasn't really relevant to your candidacy. Absolutely right, Philip. Look, at, uh, I, it's perceived that I'm in a man's world, I suppose, really. But not really. Um, there, there's a lot of females in farming, an increasing number of females coming into farming, particularly younger females and coming into the dairy sector in particular, but into the other sectors as well, which is very positive to see. And uh, I would say I've noticed very much going around the country that a lot of those young women uh, are very active in farming. They're very active in the organisation. Now coming forward, I hope that they will be seen to be more active in the organisation. But also, you know, the men wanted to see women in the organisation. It was a, a huge amount of men voted for me as well. It wasn't all just mm. women who voted for me. Uh, I wouldn't have been able to be elected if I was to be elected just on the number of females that are members of IFA. So I'm very happy that I've got the support of the, the men in the organisation so as well. Do you think your election feels historic, overdue or something that's just moving in at the same time as the general pace of Irish society? I think it's moving with the pace of society. Uh, I, I think people recognise that balance is very important in every sector. Uh, you know, the balance around the kitchen table has always been there in farming uh, at home. And I think now it's just seen at national level in the administrative side. Uh, and in, in every sector, I think, in the country, it doesn't matter what profession you're in, we're seeing an increased number of males in the female world, where, which were considered female professions, for example, like nursing. You're seeing more males coming into that. Uh, and in what 
considered predominantly male professions like farming, we're seeing more females coming into it. So I think it's a natural progression and it's good to see that, you know, uh, the farming profession is moving with every other profession. Have you and Francie Gorman, the newly elected president, worked out different policy areas for each of you or will you have a wide brief? Like, I mean, do you see yourself being out front on something like the nitrates derogation? Look, at it, we, we, we will be sharing the, the, the workload, really. And there will be certain areas that I will be given responsibility for. It's a bit early yet I only take over uh, my job on Tuesday so I'm sure on Wednesday morning I'll be given a, a brief very quickly as to what I have to do but I will have to take responsibility on everything along with Francie he will have the lead of course he is the president and he has the right to take the lead on it but he will ask me to do certain things and yes there will be areas uh, where I will have to take the lead and I think it will be based very much on our skill set you know who has the best skill set in a particular area that we will be given that area to deal with There's another voice I want to bring in here this morning that's Katrina Morrissey from the Farmers Journal. Good morning and Happy New Year to you, Katrina. Um, Relations between government and the outgoing presidency of the IFA would, I think it's fair to say, have been quite fractious. To what extent do you think that the AGM that's going to confirm Alice into her job on Tuesday is going to end up setting the tone for the rest of the year? Many happy returns, Philip, to you and the listeners. Yeah, I think Tuesday's AGM is really going to be very important for setting the tone because this is going to dictate, I suppose, it's going to be our first look at the next four years of the IFA presidency and Alice's deputy presidency. There's obviously a new leadership team there um, in France and Alice. They're going to have their own vision. They're going to have their own strategy. And I think it'll be really important to see where their, you know, their speeches and where the tone of Tuesday lands on whether it's going to be a conciliatory um, kind of presidency or, or approach, whether it's going to be combative, where will it fall on the spectrum, you know, from kind of demanding to beseeching. And they will be addressing, you know, the Minister for Agriculture, Minister uh, Pippa Hackett, they're going to have um, the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar there in the evening. So I think this is the first um, kind of public insight into the new presidency and the new presidential team with Alice um, working alongside Francie. Well, let's see if we can get let's see if we can get an insight before Tuesday. Alice, talk to me about your approach to negotiation and to lobbying. It'll be proactive. Uh, I found Katrina saying there, what will it be? It will be proactive and it will be demanding. She had mentioned two very important words there and I think that's the way it will be. Uh, I think we're going in here, you know, we're going in to negotiate. That's what we're, we're there to do. We're there to be proactive for the, you know, working for farmers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to work with people. We want to work with other organisations, whether it's the department, whether it's, you know, people like Veterinary Ireland, whether it's people like Yvonne. All of these people we have to work with to get the best for farmers. And I think both Francie and I and the new cohort of people, national officers around us. That's what we want to do. We the want to work. Now, we are not going to be a soft touch. You know, don't think that. But we, we are going to, we want to work with okay. people to get the best results. The, the previous presidency seemed happy at times to be outside the room protesting and brandishing placards. Is that going to be your style or do you see yourselves being in the room? In the room, pre- predominantly. Look, at there, there may be the occasion where you might have to step outside the room. Uh, hopefully that won't happen too often, but sometimes it's necessary uh, for whatever reason. But the, the main, I think, idea here will that is in the room. The activity is done in the room and we will be very proactive right. and very active in the room. Um, given how despondent farmers are at the moment, there's something very interesting in your CV. Um, in your previous life as a teacher, you were moved into, I think, four different schools, wasn't it, to help turn those schools around. 
How did you do that? I believe in working with people. I believe in engaging with people and I believe in communication. Um, and I know in my from my school thing, and I have high expectations. I have very high expectations of the people I work with and the people I work for. So with those, I would expect that we all work together for starters. That's priority number one. Number two, to communicate. There's a two-way communication. I need to know what the people I work with want and what they need. And they need to know how I believe, what I believe in as well. And that we work together in, in achieving that. I have a strong work ethic and I expect all around me to have a strong work ethic as well uh, and I believe in negotiating and explaining things and giving people mm-hmm. a say in what they do. But when you go into somewhere into a setting where you find people in despair how do you provide leadership there? I think a lot of it comes from your own personality that if you come across as being positive being proactive wanting the best and people see that you want the best and that you're prepared to work hard for it and that you have that kind of a demeanour that they see that you, you listen you really listen to what people say. It doesn't mean you always agree with them, but you, you listen to what they have to say and you try to work on that. And that I think that rises the ship and it comes very much from strong leadership at the top that if you show that positivity, you show this work ethic and you show that you're prepared to do the best for people, they will work with you and you give them a chance to buy in as well. It's terribly important that people have a buy in themselves to what is happening, that it's not all top, that's not top down, that it's, it's some top down but a lot from the bottom up that we try to work together to get the best out of it and I've always found that in my as I said in my teaching career anywhere I've worked in the in, in and they're all nearly rural areas except one that you bring the people with you you show them that it's it's for their good and for our good. It's not a one-way street here. Uh, and I find that people do okay. work with that. The best of luck with the job, Alice Doyle. Now, obviously, I've got to talk to Hazel Mullins and Yvonne Buckley, but it's just gone half past eight on your Saturday morning and I want to do this first. Countrywide on RTE Radio 1. With me this morning on Nolik Namon, Alice Doyle, the Vice P, Vice President-elect of the IFA, you've just heard from Hazel Mullins, the new President of Veterinary Ireland, and Professor Yvonne Buckley, who since New Year's Day has been the co-chair of this very interesting environmental science initiative. It's not easy to explain what it is, though, Professor. Please help me out here. No problem. So it's a new research co-centre between Ireland, Northern Ireland and uh, Great Britain. So across both of the islands of Great Britain and Ireland. Um, And it's being funded by Science Foundation Ireland here in the Republic, uh, by the Department of Agriculture, Environment and Rural Affairs in Northern Ireland and UK Research and Innovation in GB. And we are doing research on climate plus biodiversity and water with a particular focus on land use and how we can integrate solutions for the climate crisis, the biodiversity crisis and uh, water degradation together. So we think that by tackling um, these three issues together, we can get much better outcomes. But given that tackling those is so much down to regulations, which will be so different from one jurisdiction to another, what is the benefit of having Ireland, Northern Ireland and Britain in together? All three of those problems, um, nature, climate and water, don't respect borders. They, they don't care what our political borders are. So uh, water flows from the north to the south, for example, on, across this island. Um, so th- th- we need to tackle these problems across borders. That's an international issue. Um, and if we can tackle it across these two islands, um, then I think we could, you know, we've got, we'll have a really good template for how we can do this elsewhere in the world. And uh, yeah, Sorry. This <laughs> debate is very often framed, Yvonne, as farmers versus the environment. Is that either accurate or helpful? It's not helpful. And I think it's increasingly inaccurate. I think there's a lot of common ground now um, 
between farmers and um, the environment. And it's about providing options for farmers. So there's increasing flows of private finance into land management in various different forms, be it forestry or, um, you know, there's there's a growing market around carbon farming and thinking about how we might um, put that into place. Um, Farmers are being paid for results based on uh, what they're delivering for nature, what they're delivering for water, what they're delivering for the climate. So the, the, there's there's a changing system here and, and everything is pointing in one direction, which is that we need to, to act for climate. We need to act for biodiversity. We need to act for water. And part of our job as researchers is to figure out what those solutions are and to work with farmers to put them into place. Katrina Morrissey of the Irish Farmers Journal is still with us. Katrina, how representative do you think is what we see on social media? of the mood of farmers because a lot of it is ugly, it's anti-science, it shows an awful lot of people in despair or do you think that we would do well to remember that the silent majority stay very far away from social media? Yeah, I think, look, at the end of the day, we all know that social media is just one aspect of uh, people's opinion and it's often the most kind of volatile, angry and aggressive voices that you hear. But that doesn't take away, I think, from the fact that there is definitely a real frustration, I think, on the part of farmers, that their role in society, they feel, has been vilified in recent years and that their value as producers of top quality food has been undermined and and unfairly devalued in some cases. And that was very much to the fore at the recent IFA hostings for the election of of Francie Gorman and Alice Doyle. That was a very, very strong point that came out at each and every of the meetings held across the country was farmers' frustration at how they're being portrayed um, to the public and, you know, on on uh, on the national stage. And they have a very strong mandate now to, I suppose, go and and portray farmers in a way that, that the farmers are feel that they, they should be portrayed in terms of producers of top quality food. Um, with the obvious knowledge and all farmers will acknowledge and and are you know doing lots on their farms to to improve what they're doing on the environmental side of things we have to remember i suppose that in terms of the focus of farming and agriculture for many years was production so it was increased production increased intensity and that has turned on its head in the last couple of years and it takes a little while to adjust and it'll take some people a little bit longer to adjust but I do think that there is a silent majority there and we know that you know it's it's showing up in the schemes it's showing up mm. in the number of farmers who are entering the acres program completely oversubscribed it's showing up in the number of farmers who are indicating that they would go into organic organic farming it's showing up in the number of farmers who are applying for TAMS funding to do more slurry storage. You know, so that's for me where the real, mm-hmm. I suppose, um, appetite of farmers is seen in what they're actually doing. Yvonne, in this project, Climate Plus Biodiversity and Water, uh, it strikes me that it's not just a pure research project. You're dedicating quite a bit of your efforts to communications. That's right. Um, we're tackling it in a very interdisciplinary and integrated way, which means that we need to think about how these solutions might actually play out in society in different contexts. So we have um, a group of social scientists um, who are part of the research programme, and they're interested in, in all kinds of things around deliberative democracy and having good conversations. You know, How do we have good conversations about these environmental issues that don't lead to polarisation and you know, sound bites on social media? Um, and and also how you know how we how we communicate with the media and how these issues are tackled you know 
by yourself and 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 other mainstream media. Well, is as well is as there a silver media. bullet here? How do you think that we have the conversation in a way that engages people? Um, I think respect is important. I think that we need to understand that there's a diversity of views and a diversity of desired outcomes. And we need to have that on the table. We need to talk about what our individual visions are. Um, I think we need to think about, you know, farming um, in a broader sense. So farming for ecosystem services. Um, Food is one of the ecosystem services, one of the goods Mm. that we produce from farming. But there's a whole range of other ecosystem services. Isn't that the problem, though, that the starting point for the conversation is so different for so many people? You will have three people who will look at a piece of land and one will say, well, we should be getting milk out of that. Somebody else will say we should be farming carbon out of that. And somebody else be saying, oh, we should be growing radishes. Absolutely. And there is no one size fits all. This is the other advantage of working across these three jurisdictions is that we have a diversity of different ways of doing stuff. Um, And farmers know their land and they know what what they can do with that land. What our job as researchers is to put options on the table and say, okay, you can do this. If you want to do that, these are these is what you need to do. This is the policy regulation landscape that would incentivize um, that particular path. Um, here's another path. You can do that. It's not about forcing everyone to do the same. It's about putting options on the table and then looking at how we can incentivize and support people um, to do various different things with their land. Okay. Some people would be really keen on supporting nature, for example. Hazel Mullins, newly elected president of Veterinary Ireland. Congratulations. Um, Can we do the biographical stuff first, please? Partnership with your father on the dairy farm in Cork and locum vet in a large animal practice and president of Veterinary Ireland now. (laughs) Yes, so I have a few strings to my bow, um, Philip. So yes, I am in partnership with my dad in Carrig Navarre in Cork. And we milk um, about 60 cows. And then um, I'm also locuming. I do a lot of large animal locuming. I do a bit of small animal locuming as well, um, but mostly large. And then, um, yes. Veterinary Veterinary Ireland. Why did you want the job? I thought personally and professionally it was the right time in my life to step up to the role. I've been a member since I've graduated about 10 years ago. And I've been on National Council for the last five years. And I just felt like, It was time for me and it was time for perhaps a female, younger face of Veterinary Ireland as well and maybe appeal to more younger members for increased membership and also for younger members to step up into leadership roles in the future. And um, there was a little bit of peer pressure involved as well, I think. Yeah. Some people would actually attribute the shortage of vets to the feminisation of the process. I wonder, though, do you think is that the case or is the bigger problem here that we're still looking for 600 points at leaving cert to do veterinary and the kind of person who gets 600 points is going to want to go into scientific research rather than performing C-sections at 3 a.m. on an obstinate cow? I think it's very multifactorial. I think that there is some students that will get 600 points and will be perfectly, absolutely thrilled to be out doing what they've wanted to do in college, um, calving cows. And then there's going to be always people that will go into research work for the department. Like we need a cross section of vets always. That's not. But we also need people to stay in rural practice. Um, either that's mixed practice, equine practice, small animal practice and even large animal practice. So it's really the feminization. Yes, it's it's about 50-50 now on the, the VCI um, membership uh, or registrants of male to female female, whereas I saw a, a frightening figure of in 1992, it was 9% female vets in Ireland in 1992, so wow. 30 years ago. Yeah. Um, so that's a 
a really good step that it is nearly 50-50 in my but opinion. But it's not without its complications. Let me bring Katrina Morrissey back in here for a second. Katrina, the national conversation is full of talk about a GP shortage in rural Ireland. To what extent do you think that this is matched by a vet shortage and what impact do you see it having? Well, I think, you know, they're, they're quite similar problems because what you have is um, on the GP side, you know, you're talking about about 2,000, a shortfall of about 2,000 GPs and there's even a, an incentive programme there now that uh, is encouraging GPs from abroad to come in and work in Ireland. What's happening there is that there's a large number of GPs approaching a retirement age. The lack of, um, I suppose, influx of younger GPs means that they can't cut back on their hours. They can't have uh, time off. That, in turn, it's a vicious circle. doesn't help to recruit any young GPs. If you're told in the same way as a young vet might be told that, you know, there's long hours and it's hard to get holidays and, and you have to find your own locum before you can take time off. So what does that do and what has it done in the GP side of things? It's seeing the closure of rural GPs. It's seeing that uh, more kind of concentration of them into medical centres, which are fantastic services, but they tend to be in a bigger town. What does that do? It means that someone in a rural area or you know small town or village who might have walked to the doctor now has to drive to the doctor. They might have to go 30, 40 kilometres. The bigger medical centres then means that there may be less connection to the patient. And we already know that, you know, a, a human connection with your doctor, vets are hugely important as, as human connections okay. for farmers who work in isolation as well. We know that rural isolation is already a problem. So both GPs and vets are hugely important to that fabric. The Higher Education Minister, Hazel, Simon Harris, is uh, suggesting that there might actually be another vets course up and running by the end of this year. Would you be that um, ambitious? I would hope that it would... I'd love to think... Well, let me, let me bring a hazel in on that, Katrina. Um, I would hope that that's going to come to fruition and I personally would think that it is needed within the country. It's needed that we need more vets uh, qualifying also for maybe a rural setting. So Veterinary Ireland would be in support of, a, of another vet school for sure. And also Veterinary Ireland were invited down to UL actually recently to to see their facilities and to see the plan they have and they have a very much um, programme that they're going to base on their graduate medicine programme that they already have in, in, in place which would have a distributed placement programme where we would put vets in rural practices um, exposing them to vet students very early on to what life in rural practice would be like. So I think something like that would be very much needed in Ireland and Veterinary Ireland would be very much in support of that. Would there be enough places there, do you think, to bring down the points qualifications for veterinary across the board of the country? Um, I think that it would have to be, I think UL particularly are looking at how they are going to attract vets that are, you know, both, you know, want to work in rural practice, have good at communication, have all of these other aspects. Okay. So there's going to be an interview aspect to it, do you I think? Would not, not necessarily, but I would hope that they'd bring in something that it wasn't just completely based on points. Um, talk to me about the mental health demands in the veterinary profession. How keenly aware are you of this? Is there anything that you see yourself being able to do uh, in this context? So as Katrina mentioned, there is a lot of isolation. I, I used to work um, down in Kerry um, at one point in my life and, and there wasn't a lot of young vets um, as my colleagues down there. And I felt that, you know, I was very lonely. And at certain points, you know, 
I know lots of friends that do suffer um, because of their workload is, is, is so high and it is unfortunately a, um, a downside of the veterinary career. But look, there is lots of positives as well about being a vet. You're out in nature. You have lots of different variety to the days. There is help also available. We have um, two um, charities within Ireland that help vets. There's Vet Support Ireland and then there's also the Veterinary Benevolent Fund that support vet life. So they have online um, email, anonymous email um, that you can email in your problems and vets can talk to you or there's an, an, uh, um, okay. a line as well that they can call. Info at vetsupport.me. Katrina, let me bring you back in here on a big picture question. Uh, as we embark on 2024, the mood across the country in rural Ireland, what insight did the IFA election give you into the mood of people? Yeah, I suppose as I mentioned, Philip, that that kind of um, that feeling among farmers that they were not being portrayed um, as you know quality food producers, and and they felt that they're being vilified. That came across at every single meeting that we reported on in the Farmers Journal. Um, you know, obviously, the farmers have the perennial problems of price and weather, and we're coming off the back of a very difficult year. So I think if anybody had a, a wish for farming for 2024, it would be to have an early spring because well, last well, year prices fell for now. a lot of the commodities. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're entitled to, to hope for, for what we can get, but it really would make a difference in terms of fodder. Maybe you, you know, can get the ladies in Cork to do there. a rain dance for you with their drums because that's about the best shot you have at that. There might be a particular uh, drum beat that would, would generate <laughs> a good spring, which would be great. Um, Alice... I suppose. Look, go on, Katrina. Sorry. Yeah, looking forward. I suppose there's there's a number of key things happening this year. Obviously, we're looking at European elections. Um, we're looking at cap negotiations beginning in the first half of the year. They have already begun to some extent, um, but they will gather speed towards the end of the year. We have changes on farm changes which have been implemented just four days ago. Um, the say the nitrate derogation for those farmers that were affected. There will be more farmers that will come into that loop this year. And you have, you know, the the constant, I suppose, demands that farming brings with it. You know, the environmental demands are huge and and farmers will be, I suppose, the start of the year. We're looking at calving, we're looking at lambing. You know, it's a very, very busy number of months ahead. Alice, this is going to be a really difficult thing for you to try and provide leadership on because on the one hand, it is absolutely the case that more is being asked of farmers than anybody else in Irish society and already farmers have done, many farmers, not all, have done much more than many people in Irish society. But your message to them also simultaneously has to be, book up lads, get on with it, things are going to have to change and there's nothing that we can do about that. Look at everything Katrina said there I can identify with and what you're saying as well uh, about a lot has been done and a lot has to be done and the whole idea of vilification and this view that farmers are being vilified Look, at I, I think that farmers see themselves as the frontline workers here. If you go back to the pandemic, there were frontline workers. We are the frontline workers when it comes to climate change. We're out there facing the real world the, where the climate affects us more than anybody else because our day-to-day work is affected by weather, which we saw very much this year. And therefore, changing weather is going to have a huge impact on how we do things. So it's in our best interest to make sure that we do everything to steady the ship. And I'm hoping that this year will be the year when we will steady the ship. There has been a 
huge amount of change, a huge amount of demands put on farmers in the last few years. Nobody, you know, minds being asked to change. We know if it's for the best, we will change and we will do our very okay. best. But but if I can just finish on that, mm-hmm. Philip, just to say that in being asked to change, it's very important that the change is being asked to be done at a realistic pace and to be at, that we're dealing with nature. Nature doesn't allow you to switch on and off, that we can deal with it at a realistic pace and that the regulation that is brought in that is realistic. And Yvonne mentioned something very important about communication. She said in her project they want to communicate with farmers about how the change is being made and what changes are most suitable and can be made. And farmers are very willing to engage in that. But if I could just finally say that I really think this year should be the year when we steady the ship. We slow it down now because it's a bit like a marathon. Climate change is like a marathon. We're all in the race and Irish farmers have started off at a sprint and if we want to finish this race, this marathon, we can't continue at a sprint because we're going to collapse. So I think we're at that stage now where we need to be told you need a lot You need a lot of encouragement. We're at that stage. We're facing the wall and we need the side, people okay. on the sidelines saying, Go, you know, you're doing a good job. Get on with it. And we need, to, we, we need to keep this change up. We have to keep making change. We know we have to. We have to adopt the best science that the likes of Yvonne is talking about. We have to take that on board okay. and get on with Yvonne, it. Yvonne, I saw you nodding there. What parts were you agreeing with? So um, I agree with the fact that, that we need a, a, a stable policy environment. I guess we need the, the direction of travel to be set. And I think we have a very good idea now of the direction of travel with the climate um, action plans, for example. But I guess I don't agree with the, the slowing down element of that. I think we need to uh, we've got a set direction now, which means we can accelerate. And it's not just farmers that need to accelerate. It's all of us in society. And um, we need to take action okay, you know, across the board. I understand that. I understand that the science says that we need to move an awful lot faster. But what's the point in moving faster if you leave everybody behind? Uh, well, the whole point of moving faster is that you bring everyone with you. have to bring everyone with you because no, we can't tackle the climate crisis without bringing people with us. And the, the polarisation of arguments, you know, and things like that don't help us to bring people along. Um, we have a very good idea of what we need to do. The technologies are there. Um, you know, things like multi-species swords, you know, to reduce nitrogen input, uh, breeding programs for cattle. And, you know, th- th- there's many, many solutions on the table. And what we need to do now is enable people to take up those solutions in various different ways and be that incentivization, policy landscape, you know, um, uh, communication and education and, uh, you know, bringing, bringing sustainability mm. and nature into agricultural training, into veterinary training. You know, it needs to be mainstreamed across society. Uh, Hazel, across one of the advantages of your job is you get to visit many farms. Um, I wonder all of these initiatives, all of these things that can be done that Yvonne is itemising there, do you see them being taken up or are they things that people, that the majority of farms you go to have yet to address? Oh no, I see a, a big uptake in a lot of the, the recommendations that are being made and I think a lot of farmers have a very positive outlook and uh, uh, you know for the for the future. And as vets, we have a major input into sustainability and making farms, you know, more sustainable. And, you know, Vaughan mentioned breeding programmes. We have a vast knowledge of EBI of cattle and breeding and nutrition, also keeping cattle healthy, keeping animals healthy, any animal that's on the farm healthy. And healthy animal is a more productive animal and, and, and you know, we need to be looking at which animals are, are worth keeping on the farm. And these are the this is mm-hmm. how a vet can really help within with all stakeholders as well. So it's lovely to hear how we're all going to communicate and communication is key along this. See, Alice, there is an awful lot there to be commended, indeed, even to be uh, celebrated. But 
the arguably the IFA has been getting its messaging wrong on this and that the message that it has communicated has been one of, well, frankly, aggression and hostility to what is coming down the path. Is that a message that you're going to change? Look, I, I think we, we see what farmers need out there and we're going to be proactive in getting people and getting farmers to move with the science. They are moving with the science, but we also have to be aware of the fact at the pace that they can do it at. As I said in my, my opening there, the pace is dictated by nature. We can make all the changes, we can adapt all the changes like the cattle breeding, we can take on uh, all the different moves, this, the multi-species wards, and we're taking those all on board. But nature doesn't turn on and off. It takes a period of time to see the results from that. And I think farmers need, need encouragement at the moment. They need a little bit more carrot and a little less stick just at this moment in time. And whereas, you know, Ivan said, you know, we don't need to slow the pace. We have to be very careful that we have to be realistic about the pace because we can only work with what we have and we will work with the science and we are working. And IFA will encourage farmers very much to move with science, to adopt the science that's necessary, to get on with it. We all want, to, you know, to work on this programme properly, to, that we get a, a okay. proper climate. And we will be positive about it and we will be, you know, going forward, we will be very positive and very encouraging of our farmers. Move with the times, get on with it. But at the same time, we have to, to mind them that they don't collapse in okay. front of us and it's all a failure. We also have to be clear-eyed about exactly where it is that we're at. Yvonne, you're embarking on a major project of nature restoration. The Irish government lost its case against the European Commission during the year in relation to the Habitats Directive. We're failing to conserve, never mind even starting to restore. Absolutely. I mean, there, there's huge biodiversity problems. Um, 85% of our protected, what should be our most protected habitats are in poor and inadequate condition in Ireland. Um, that's that's a real problem. If we're failing to protect our most precious um, habitats, uh, you know, especially areas of conservation, um, you know, think about what's happening in the wider landscape as well. You know, obviously there are failures there as well. And this is where we need to, you know, to, to spread out the load. It's you can't just protect isolated patches. We need whole of landscape change uh, to improve water quality in particular. Um, to improve biodiversity, to improve the, the, the you know nature, the, the areas available for okay. nature to, but to are you exist in. On the whole, more optimistic than you might have been five years I, ago. I'm way more op- optimistic now than uh, five years ago. I think that there has been considerable um, investment into the National Parks and Wildlife Service, for example. There's been um, the great changes in CAP with the Acres Program. It's not perfect, but it's um, going in the right direction. It's a results-based it, it, program. It is. Yeah. Alice has already said it was oversubscribed. Yep. So that is an indication of where great farmer sentiment is moving. Yeah. Okay. Thank you all very much for joining me this morning. Professor Yvonne Buckley, Alice Doyle, Hazel Mulls, congratulations and good luck in all of your work. I think we should probably agree to meet the three of you again, maybe around about this time next year for a bit of a progress report. But that is all that we have time for.